I think I need to get a second opinion. I think I need a second opinion. And the doctor says, well, you're ugly too. Okay, that's a dumb little joke, but the point is, is that we all have things that we have to overcome, don't we? We all have issues, whether they're psychological or things from our past or things that we're dealing with right now, these struggles we have, and we're like, man, I need to stop having this weight pushing me down, these obstacles in my path. I need to figure out how to overcome all this stuff. We all have those things, and maybe it's not from a counselor, thank goodness, telling us that, but as we've talked about before, sometimes it's ourselves. We all have those things, maybe going back a week, maybe years, maybe decades to our childhood. And we have these things that we've been holding on to that have been weighing us down for so long, and we need to learn to overcome them. And we're going to see from the childhood of Joseph, from his teenage years, he had to do it as well. The Bible, we're going to be starting in chapter key verses up here, but since we're going to be covering a lot of ground, maybe not this week, but in our week, so I just want to say, read it on your own. Every verse, every word is important. We just can't read every single one on a Sunday morning. So you can study. You can even read ahead. It's not cheating in church. You can read ahead, read the scripture, but we're going to start in Genesis 37 as we're introduced to this Joseph, and actually we're going to jump in in verse 2. It says in verse 2, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. We'll get to that. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, we need some background, don't we? We're just jumping in right into the middle of this book of Genesis. Some of you are like, I thought that's when God created the world and there was this big flood. I thought that was Genesis. Yeah, but this is kind of later in Genesis. This covers a section which most people call the era of the patriarchs. The patriarchs or the fathers of the faith. Because God, after he created the world, chose one man, and from that one man, his family and all the generations to come after him, to be the people that would basically bless and save the world from their descendants. The first man was, anybody? Abraham. God called Abraham and gave him this problem. I promise, I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless the nations. And then Abraham eventually had his son Isaac, and from Isaac had his son Jacob. And even though Jacob was the younger son, we'll get to that too. Jacob was the younger son. He became the person who inherited the birthright and became the person to carry on the faith. In fact, Jacob, in a vision from God, being spoken to by, to by God, was called Israel. He was given a new name. We know the nation of Israel, it all descend from Jacob and his line. So here's Jacob, and he has a whole slew of children. Twelve sons in particular. Twelve sons, and Joseph is the eleventh of those twelve sons. The eleventh, but he is the one for the majority of the rest of Genesis that we're going to look at. Joseph, because Joseph 
was the one that God used in this time in history. So it says Joseph was a young man of 17. So actually the things we're going to be reading coming up are probably before he was 17. I think what happens is the narrator says he was 17, and we're going to see next week what happens when he was 17. We're going to kind of look back what set him up for that pivotal moment that happened to him, that, that tragedy that really happened when he was 17 years old. So we're going to look at his past. But it says that he was a shepherd. He was out with the sheep, with the flocks, and his brothers. His brothers, there's 11 of them, remember? He's the 11th of 12. And it says, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So in case you're wondering about that, just so you know, the Bible has a lot of stories with people with multiple wives. It does. But let me tell you this, nothing ever good comes out of it. People are like, oh yeah, look at all these people that have multiple wives. Yeah, but it messed up their families majorly. Okay, it was really bad. Every single story in the Bible with more than one wife, bad things happen. From the beginning in creation and into the New Testament, God says, hey, my plan is just one man and one woman in marriage. That's what marriage is. But people did what they wanted back in the day. They were rich men and they married lots of women. And what happened with Jacob, it was a very weird story, if you remember this from Sunday school maybe. Jacob wanted to marry a woman named Rachel. He saw her and immediately fell in love. She had beautiful eyes. She's so stunning. So he fell in love with her. So he went to her father, Laban, and said, well, she's the younger sister of two, so you you can't marry her. And finally he worked it out and arranged with him that he would work for Laban for seven years. And after working for seven years, then he could have Laban's daughter in marriage. So Jacob worked for seven years, and he was like, oh, man, it was just like days because he was so in love and so waiting to get married to Rachel. But then he drank a little too much on his wedding night. Yeah, you didn't know that was in the Bible, right? He drank way too much. And he went in on his wedding night with his new wife and woke up in the next morning and realized he had not slept with Rachel. Yeah, her older sister Leah so he freaks out and runs to Laban. He's like, what did you do? To the, why did you do this to me? And he says, well, it's our custom that the older daughter gets married first. So you had to marry Leah first. What? So, well, can I marry Rachel now too? Okay, another seven years. So he works for another seven years to win Rachel's hand. And he says it went by in days because he was so in love. Finally, he marries Rachel. But during this whole process in the years that follow, Leah had a lot of children. She had several children, and Rachel was infertile. She couldn't carry a child. She couldn't get pregnant again and again and again. And eventually, she was so frustrated that she took one of her servant girls, Bilhah, and said, Hey, I'm going to give you, Jacob, I'm going to give you my servant girl, Bilhah, to be your wife. And any kids that she has will be my kids. So he ran, or, uh, Jacob's like, Okay. Great guy, right? So he sleeps with Bilhah, gets some kids, and then Leah, the the first wife, is angry about that. So she gives her her servant, Zilpah, uh, to Jacob as a fourth wife, and then Jacob has even more kids with Zilpah. And and finally, after all these years, Leah even has a few more. Finally, finally, Rachel gets pregnant with a son named Joseph. God worked through their infertility and eventually gave them a child. And this child was the one that Jacob loved. Joseph, this little boy, finally. And then, actually, Rachel had another child, Benjamin, and she died during childbirth of that twelfth and final son. And that's why when we come to the next verse, it makes a little more sense. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, remember, loved Joseph, the eleventh son, more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. 
When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Some issues going on here, isn't there? See the baggage that Joseph has now that's starting to form? This is what's going on here. That Jacob loves Joseph the most out of all his 12 children. And it really messes things up big time. It really does. His other brothers begin to hate him because Jacob doesn't just like hold it in his heart like, oh yeah, every parent has their favorite, right? No, no, no. He makes it abundantly clear. He makes this ornate robe. Some of you know it as the, the coat of many colors or the technicolor dream coat for that. Actually, in the Hebrew, there's nothing about colors. There isn't. This was actually a later Greek mistranslation of this word ornate. Though it probably did have some colors, because to be ornate in the day, every other robe was probably gray, or very drab, or brown. But these ornate robes were probably very colorful, green, or I mean, blues, reds, purples. But that word ornate is actually found only one other time in the entire Bible. And it's used to describe a robe that one of David's daughters, a princess, wore. So what we can glean from that is that this is a very expensive, fancy, royal robe. For a shepherd boy. And not the first son, because in those days the first son was the heir, would receive a double portion of the father's lands and money and property. But this is the 11th son, and Jacob makes this special hand-tailored robe for Joseph. It became visible to all the other brothers that Joseph was the favorite. You kind of feel that hatred and jealousy that they might have felt. And just so you know, this isn't okay. We, we did a whole message on parenting, so I'm just going to be brief here. But parents, do not pick favorites. Don't. Don't pick favorites. Probably what made these brothers even more jealous is that the oldest brother, we're going to be introduced to him next week, a guy named Reuben. Reuben actually messed up family, right? Had slept with one of those other wives of his father. Slept with his stepmom. So his father had basically rejected that son as the heir apparent. So instead of the first son being the heir, who knew what was going to be the son that would inherit all of the land and property and money that Jacob had? So all the brothers were probably kind of like fighting amongst themselves who would be able to to take over and take over the family name and be the, the heir. So they're all fighting. But here is Joseph the 11th, one of the youngest sons, 17 years old or younger. And he's given this special ornate robe and shown as the favorite, daddy's favorite. Man, I must have roiled those siblings. Maybe you grew up in a family like that where it was very clear which child was the favorite. But one thing I have noticed that when you ask Kids, like, which one are you the favorite? No one thinks they're actually the favorite. Have you ever realized that? I've talked to people about this. But it's not okay to show favorites. In fact, in lots of different places in the Bible, let me just show you a couple. It says that favorites are not okay. Here we see later in James 2.1, it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And in another place, in Timothy, it says, Be fair with everyone and don't have any favorites. And here's why. Because God doesn't show favorites. Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. Favoritism is not okay. It messes up kids' lives. It messes up in any relationship, but especially with kids, because they start to fight each other enough as is, but then one's the favorite, one's always protected by the father, and all these brothers got to see it. 
We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that Joseph does here in a second that maybe get him into some of the mess that he will face in his life, the obstacles that he's going to have to overcome. But I think worse than anything Joseph does is what his father does here. I think Jacob is being a terrible father here, showing favoritism to one son, which means all the other sons begin to hate him. I think Jacob's sin here is really going to mess up the life of this child. And isn't that the truth, the thing that we see over and over again, the things that happen to us in our childhood can be some of the most traumatic? Even things at the hands of our parents or other family members, relatives, people that we love. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Jen. Jen grew up with an alcoholic father and a mother that didn't do anything about it. One day, Jen was actually sexually assaulted, not by her father, but by a neighbor, an adult neighbor. And she went crying, sobbing to tell her mother about the incident. And the mother says, oh, we don't talk about anything like that. And she pushed it down. And she felt shame for it. She felt guilty because even though she hadn't perpetrated it, she was just a child. She felt guilty that she had somehow deserved what had happened to her. So when she got a little bit older, the first man who, was, who said, I love you to her, she married him even though he, too, was an abusive husband, just like her father. And that shame she had carried on and carried on, and eventually that man left her for another woman. She felt terrible and awful. And after that, she actually became a Christian. She found Christ. And she said, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to stick my foot out there and just try to start a new relationship again now that I have Jesus in my life. So she got on an online dating service. And had a few great dates with a nice Christian guy. And then all of a sudden, he stopped responding to her phone calls and texts and messages. But the kid's called ghosting. You know, that's a real thing. And she said, well, I guess I deserve it. I guess I'm not worth anything. See, the shame she had from her childhood had now become so ingrained in her that that it was baggage weighing her down. Maybe the worst thing hadn't happened because of her parents, but her parents maybe allowed it, but made it much worse by not helping out. What happens to us, even in our childhood, can be things that affect us for years and decades to come. Don't you know it? Maybe you, too, were abused. Maybe you were hurt, and you still bear the scars, maybe physically or maybe just emotionally, about what happened in your childhood things that your parents did, even things that were like, good, right? You got the robe, got the favorite. You were the favorite child, but set you up for a lifetime of hurt. That's what happens to Joseph in our story. So if you're here and you have that in your past, I want to help you overcome that. And I believe that God is helping us overcome those things in our past that happen at the hands of our parents because of our family of origin, things that happened in our childhood, that past, we can overcome. But it wasn't just Joseph's father who sinned against him. His brothers made it much, much worse. We already saw that they hated him, that they couldn't say a single good word about him. I'm sure he was made fun of. I'm sure he was insulted, left out by the other brothers. But then one day, Joseph has a dream. He has this dream that he's out with his brothers And they're with size out in the field, and they're cutting down the sheaves of wheat. 
And he said in his dream, he saw that his sheave of wheat stood up tall. And all the sheaves of his brothers came around in a circle and started bowing down to the one sheaf, his sheaf. So the next morning, Joseph tells all his brothers about his dream. And this is what they say to him. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. This is just a child, a teenager sharing a dream. And yet these brothers hate him for it. Even more, the the hatred is just escalating even more. They can't stand it. They're so jealous of that brother. And now he thinks he's going to rule over them. And then Joseph has another dream. And in this second dream, he sees the sun in the sky and the moon at night and all the stars coming down, 11 stars. And they all come to him and they bow down before him on the ground. So the next day he tells not only his brothers about this second dream, but he tells his father too. This is what his father responds to him. His father rebukes him. And then his brothers were jealous of him, it says in verse 11. But his father kept the matter in his mind. He gets rebuked again. This second dream, this second dream that Joseph shares with his brother, they knew exactly what it meant. The sun and the moon, father and mother, 11 stars, well, those are the brothers. They're all bowing down before Joseph. And they're angry. Even his father rebukes him. And the brothers even more jealous. They hate him even more. And as we'll see next week, they even plot a way to murder him. Their hatred just kept brewing and brewing and brewing, and it would lead them to heinous sin. Because that's what jealousy does. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on them, because we will talk about them a lot more next week. But what Joseph did paled in comparison to the hatred and evil and jealousy that were expressed by his brothers and what they would do to him to try to kill him and eventually ruin his life as far as they could tell. Sometimes the things we have in our past are not things that we do, but things that are done to us, right? Even by our brothers or by close friends, people we love. They're people that we thought we could trust, but then they do something to us to hurt us so deeply because of their sin against us. And that's something we have to learn to overcome. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul's family, as he grew up with his three siblings and his parents, they weren't religious at all. In fact, the only time he remembered going to church at all was for a great aunt's funeral. And the whole family didn't talk about it afterwards, right? They weren't religious at all. So he didn't think it would be a big deal when he went with one of his friends in high school to a youth group. And while he was there, he eventually came to know Jesus and accept him and and be saved. And at the urging of his pastor, he wanted to invite all of his family members to his baptism. Thought they would be fine with it. They had never talked about religion. But as soon as he told his whole family, they scoffed at him and they started mocking him because Christianity was so ridiculous. Who could believe that junk? They started making fun of him. His nickname then became St. Paul, but not in a kind way. They mocked him again and again and again. Years later, when he was off at college, he met a Christian girl, fell in love, and they decided to get married. But because of his wife's um, father, who was a recovering alcoholic, they decided, hey, at our wedding, we're not going to have any alcohol. 
So they invited the whole family. The family found out it was a dry wedding, and no one showed up. They didn't want anything to do with that hypocritical Christian. And that's what happened. Whenever he would even make the slightest, smallest mistake, they pointed it out. They poked him and made fun of him, called him a hypocrite, even though they had committed much worse sins than he was. And eventually, when he had kids of his own, he he wanted to have a relationship for them to have a relationship with their aunts and uncles and with the grandparents, but they wanted nothing to do with his family and stopped returning his calls. And eventually, Paul lost all contact with his family except on Facebook when he would see them having a family event and he wasn't invited. And Paul could not escape the feeling that he was an outcast, that he was rejected, that even though he had a family now that loved him, he he just felt so down on himself that he was a hypocrite. That he wasn't good enough. He was lonely. Those things that happen from other people, whether it's being made fun of, or the things they say or do to us, they can have a lasting impact on our life. Some of you have had comments, maybe from your siblings or close friends, things that you remember happened to you, and it still weighs down on you. That relationship has never been mended, and it's a burden. And Joseph had to learn to overcome that. And we're going to need to learn to overcome our hurts from our past, even if it's from the sins of others around us. We had nothing to do with it. Yet we still have to figure out a way, don't we? That's what this series is going to be about. Now, people debate, and you can debate at your community group this week, whether Joseph sinned or not at all in the section that we've read so far. I think it is kind of debatable, and that's something you guys can decide for yourself. Was he sinning when he gave a false report? It says a bad report about his brothers. Was he sinning in any of that thing? And, and I want to just show you this in verse 2 where it says that he gave a bad report. Every single time in the Bible that that word report is used, it's used very negatively. It's not even just tattling. This is saying something terrible about the person. And it might not be true. It's used again in the Proverbs. I want to show you just one instance of this. We have that verse in Proverbs 10, 18. It says, the one who spreads slander is certainly a fool. Same word in Hebrew. This was the bad report that the spies brought bad after they went into the promised land. They came back and said, oh, we can't go there. We can't go there. There's giants there. Maybe you remember that story. That's the same word for report. So what Joseph is doing is he's saying something very bad about his brothers, and we're not told whether it's true or not. So you can debate, was that sinful or not? I think at the very least, what Joseph did was very immature and foolish. And here's why. Here's why. Just because you know it doesn't mean you have to say it. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to say something. This is kind of a principle that we see taught in the wisdom literature of the Bible. You see it in a place like Proverbs 12.23. It says, smart people or wise people don't tell everything they know. But fools tell everything and show they are fools. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to say it. And I think we all know that intuitively. Just because somebody's gaining a lot of weight doesn't mean you have to say something about it. I mean, honestly, we know that you don't say certain things. It takes wisdom to learn that. So I think at the very least, even if Joseph isn't sinning here, he's immature and quite possibly very foolish. Maybe it's just because he's a child. He's a teenager. We also learn as we get wiser and more mature, we learn that even sometimes it just depends on the timing of when you say something, right? 
In Proverbs 25.20, we're told, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Maybe something great has happened in your life. You're happy. Oh, you're awesome. You're just so thankful for your career and for your life and everything. But when you talk about your career to that friend who just lost a job, it stings. It burns. So we have to learn that, hey, just because we know something doesn't mean we have to say it. It goes the same with the two dreams that Joseph had. Maybe those dreams were from God, and I believe that we'll see that they were. But that doesn't mean he needs to share it with everyone. Because they were very quick to interpret it. And Joseph actually has the gift of interpreting dreams, as we'll see later in this story. Joseph knew what he was talking about when he told his brothers. He knew that they would interpret it as them bowing down to him. And he said it twice, even though he knew that they hated him and couldn't say a kind word about him. See, do you hear just the brother kind of just ribbing his other brothers? Look at me, I got the rope. And here comes the second corollary to this first piece of wisdom, just because you have it doesn't mean you have to wear it. Just because you have it doesn't mean you have to wear it. And I don't just mean physical clothes. Although Joseph probably knew better than to parade around in his robe. And that's what he does next week when he goes out to visit his brothers out in the field. They're all working. He wears his robe. Knowing that they were jealous of him, hated him, couldn't say anything nice about him, he still goes out there in his beautiful royal robe. This would be like, these guys are blue collar, right? They're shepherds. They'd be out there in their Carhartt, steel-toed boots covered with mud and animal feces. Joseph goes out there in his Armani suit, the Rolex, because management doesn't wear Carhartt, right? This is Joseph going out there. He had it. It was a gift to him. Should he not have worn it? I don't think it was very wise, do you? It was immature at the least. Just because you have it doesn't mean you have to wear it. In Jeremiah, we read, This is what the Lord says, The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. It's not saying don't be wise, don't be strong, don't have money. It's saying don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. Because just because you have it doesn't mean you have to wear it. It doesn't have to be the thing that everybody sees and knows about you. Your privileged, rich background that you come from. That, that great career that you have. Whatever that thing is that, that you want to flaunt. Don't, you don't have to wear it all the time. You don't. So I think at the very least we're showing that Joseph, sinful, you be the judge. Immature, definitely. Foolish, probably. Because here's the thing about the scars and the wounds and the guilt and remorse that we carry as individuals. A lot of it is what we did, isn't it? Maybe you were just immature and you look back and say, I, I didn't know better, but I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. Even when I was a teenager, how, how did I not have the brains to see that that was going on in the hearts of my brothers? How did I not see it? We look back and we usually have lots of regrets, don't we? For the last two weeks, our entire nation has been riveted about one man and what he did when he was 17 or did not do. Because what we do as teenagers affects our entire lives. Doesn't it? And we have those things that weigh us down as burdens. We feel the guilt. We feel the remorse. Sometimes we wake up at night and think about that situation, that conversation we had. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or I wish I would have stepped up and done that thing I should have when I knew better. I think that's why even David, 
prayed in Psalm 25. Do not remember the sins and wrong things I did when I was young. I think all of us feel that on our heart. A lot of the burdens we carry around, the things that we have to overcome, are things that we have done ourselves. You see all this? All this weight that we're carrying around? Some of you are maybe even remembering that event from years ago. You wish you could take it back. I think we all have those things. So what I want to challenge you today and through this whole series is that we need to learn to overcome our past. We have to. So this is the big idea for today. Overcome your past or be overcome by it. I really mean that. We all have a past weighing it down. Maybe it's things that have happened to us that are still hurting us in our soul. Maybe even at the hands of our family or siblings, close friends, people we trusted. That we're just wearing this and it's bearing down on us. This weight we need to let go of. Maybe it's something we did. Maybe it's a combination like we see here with the life of Joseph. And I want to challenge you today through this series. Let's take that thing in our past. Those things that are weighing us down still today and overcome them or else they will overcome us. And this is what I mean by overcoming us. These are some of the things that, that we do. Max Lucado says, sometimes those things in our past, we try to numb it. Just to make us not feel so bad that that thing happened to us. And we can use substances to do it. Maybe we try to deny it or minimize it. Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Some of us try to bury it with busyness. If I just keep myself active, if I'm always thinking about something, always got something I'm listening to, I never have to think about the past. Some of us try to avoid any mention of it. We avoid those people from our childhood, from the past. We try to redirect it, and sometimes it turns into a lot of anger. This is what happens when these things are in our hearts for too long. We become very angry. Sometimes we try to offset it by being perfect. Maybe I can make up for those things I did in the past. What a burden to carry. Sometimes, even worse, we embody it. That thing we did in the past, we said, okay, yeah, it wasn't just a mistake. It becomes your identity. You don't become just the girl who was assaulted. You become the party girl, and you embrace it. These things happen to us. These things happen to us, and we even begin to tell ourselves that I maybe deserve this. I deserve what happened to me. This burden that I've been carrying, I deserve to carry it for the rest of my life. And that's why we can be overcome by it, even years, decades later. It can lead us to be miserable, angry people for the rest of our lives. We need to learn to overcome it. That's what I'm going to challenge you guys to do. I'm going to challenge us to overcome it. Because what we're going to see in the life of Joseph, I'm just giving you a little preview of what this story is about if you've never read it or never heard it. See, Joseph had a lot, a lot, a lot of time to think about all these things from his past. Next week, he gets thrown in a pit, left for dead. We're going to see him uh, being human trafficked to a foreign nation thousands of miles away, away from his family. Would have taken a journey of months. Could you just imagine what he was thinking about the entire time? I wish I wouldn't have said that. I can't believe this happened to me. And then he would serve as a slave. And after years of serving with the slave, 
he would be falsely accused of something when he was sexually harassed. He got thrown into prison, and he was there for years to continue to think about all this stuff that happened. Over and over again. Feeling the weight of it. And he was forgotten about even by his friends in prison. We're going to see Joseph go through all of that and overcome it. His past didn't hold him back. And that's the amazing story about Joseph. Because those dreams were from God. It wasn't just the imaginations of this young boy. It was something that God was telling him that one day he would be lifted up and exalted. God had a major, important, powerful plan for Joseph's life. Not just for his brothers, not just for the nation he would come to save, but for the world. He would do an incredible thing that God had called him to do. But he had to overcome his past to do it. So I hope for you too that you will learn to overcome your past so that you won't be overcome by it. And that is the message of Christianity, isn't it? Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, we read, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And again, we read this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone belongs to Christ, then he is made new. The old things have gone. Everything is made new. We have a chance at a new start. We have a chance to overcome everything. And do you know how we do it? It's by faith. It's by faith. In fact, this is what we're told in 1 John. We read, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It takes faith. That's what belief is. And do you know what faith is? It's not something that you muster up and summon. I can get past my past. I can overcome and I can be strong. No, no, no. It's not something inside of you. When you believe in and trust someone else, faith is believing in someone else to help you. And that someone else is Jesus, the ultimate overcomer. Because Jesus was the one who went to the hurting, went to the people who were outcast, and he even touched the people who no one would go near and touch to heal them. And yet Jesus, for no sin of his own, doing no wrong, he was hurt by others. He was put up on a cross and crucified. And in that moment, death overcame him. He was put in the grave for three days. But we know he didn't stay there. But he rose from the dead to prove that God can overcome the hardest things in the world, sin, death, and the devil. And what God is saying through Jesus Christ when we have faith in him that we too can overcome all the scars and guilt and remorse and all the shame we have in the past, everything that we're holding, that's holding us down, holding us back, we can overcome that through Jesus Christ. Because we have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's what our faith is. And that's the faith that overcomes the world. So I'm going to have the band come up right now. And I know as I've been talking, maybe something has been brought to your mind from your past. Or multiple things, and you're saying, Matt, this is weighing me down. I've never even talked with anybody about this. Kind of kept it to myself, or maybe only told a counselor. But if you have those things right now that have been weighing you down from your past, it's time to turn them over to God. What from your past is holding you down? So, if I could have you all just close your eyes. Would you just close your eyes with me for a minute? And I want you to, for just a minute... Think about those things in your past. I know we don't want to. We don't want to relive it. We don't want to think about those things. But when we have those things in our past, whether it's guilt, 
whether it's shame, whether it's scars and burdens, I want you to think about those things that you've been carrying around for too long. Do you feel it? Now I want you uh, to just reach out your hands. Okay? Just reach out your hands like you're going to try to catch a ball. Okay, Both hands. Put them out there like this. Because God wants to take those burdens from you. He wants to begin to do it today. To bring healing into your life. Because you, through faith in Jesus Christ, can overcome those things. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I pray for those men and women here. We all have things in our past. And we sometimes feel like we're past it, but then it comes reeling back. And we remember those things. And we tell ourselves how awful we are. And and, and we can feel overcome by those things. But Lord God, we ask that you take them away from us right now. We ask for your healing hand, your Holy Spirit, to give us the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Lord God, take these burdens from us. Amen.